I'm excited about this season as we are entering into the Passion Tide season of Good Friday, Easter, remembering Jesus and his death on the cross and what that means for us. Uh, tonight, as Katie said, we are having our launch team meeting, and at that meeting, we'll be putting together our Easter invite bags. They will also include these. These are little invite cards to Easter Sunday, and this is something that you can hand personally to the person that you are inviting. And so you hand them the bag, say, hey, this is a gift from our church to you, but this also is just an invite. If you're not going somewhere for Easter already, we'd love for, to have you join us. And so um, this is awesome. We're excited about this opportunity and just seeing what God does and who God brings into our church. Uh, we want to reach our city for Jesus. Amen. And we want to be present and engaged with the lost and the hurting here as well as in Africa and all over the world because that's what Jesus does. He goes to the broken and he brings healing, restoration, freedom, life. That's what God does. That's what he's about. And that's what we as his body are also about. So I'm excited about that opportunity. Um, how many of you guys have heard the story of the classic story of the tortoise and the hare? Okay, we've all heard this one, right? And so the story is, you know, the hare is super fast. They're going to have this race. And it doesn't make any sense because it's, it's a turtle and it's a bunny, okay? So it's not even going to be close. But in the traditional story, right, you see the hare gets really arrogant and cocky. Oh, man, this turtle, he ain't got nothing on me, you know. And he goes ahead and he runs off ahead and then he gets in a hammock and, like, takes a nap. And he's just being all arrogant about it. And the, in the end of the story, it's the tortoise, actually, who surprisingly surprises everyone, and he ends up winning the race. But the phrase, kind of the famous phrase from all of that is, slow and steady wins the race. Right. Slow and steady wins the race. And you hear that even in long distance running. You hear coaches telling their people, hey, don't get upset when you start off and people start passing you at the beginning because it's a long run. And so you just get into your nice little rhythm. You get into your nice pocket. And if you stay true to that rhythm, then in the end, slow and steady will end up winning the race. And it's kind of more like fast and steady. I mean, slow. I don't know if slow wins the race. But um, either way, the idea is steadiness, faithfulness, consistency, and that's how you win. And, it, and you guys have probably noticed this also in life, that the people who end up finishing well, who finish well the race that is set before them, right, that Jesus has set before them, the people that finish well are the ones who are steadfast in who they are. Right? They, they don't rise and fall with all the highs and lows of their life. They choose to be steady, and they are secure in who they are. They know who they are, and they know why they're here. And no matter what life brings at them, they're able to be steadfast and secure. And we see that in the life of Jesus, right? He had, he is the epitome of highs and lows, right? His high highs, thousands of people just thronging him, trying to just like touch his robe. 
I mean, powerful things happening, miracles, signs, and wonders. The whole nation was in an uproar because of Jesus everywhere he went. People were following him. So very high, high, and then a very low, low, all the way to being crucified unjustly on a cross, completely abandoned by everyone he loved and left alone to die. So high highs and low lows. But what do we see about Jesus? He was consistent. He was the same person through it all. He was secure in who he was. No matter what season of life came to him, he remained true to who he was and what God had called him to do. And so this morning, I want to learn from Jesus. I want us to look at the life of Jesus and learn from him. He didn't allow his internal reality to be affected by his external circumstances, and he remained secure. So the title of my message this morning is Secure. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we ask that you speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will speak to our hearts, God, that your word will come alive and it will bear fruit in our lives, Jesus, 30, 60, and 100 fold lasting fruit from the power of your spirit and your word. Lord, I pray that if anything comes from me, any words that come from me, I pray that it will fall to the ground and die. The only thing that will remain is your word, Jesus. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. All right, so we are starting a new series today on Passion Tide. And if you're not familiar with what Passion Tide is, it's basically the two weeks leading up to Easter in the traditional church calendar. Okay, it includes Good Friday, Holy Week. Um, that is Passion Tide. And so this series, we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus leading up to his final week. And then, of course, his death, his burial, and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. So next week, next Sunday, we're going to dive into the last week of Jesus' life. All that he endured, leading all the way up to the cross. Good Friday, we're going to talk about stations of the cross, right? The last 24 hours of Jesus' life, reflecting upon that, receiving from that. And then, Easter Sunday, woohoo! Jesus rises from the dead, defeats death and sin. And now he's made a way for us. He's split the veil in two and we can have access to the most holy place where God himself dwells and live in living relationship with a living God. Amen? So we're going to talk about that. But today, we look at the life of Jesus and what was special about him is from the very beginning, you see even early on in his life, he knew who he was and what God had called him to do. Even at the age of 12, we find him in the temple, and he knew who he was and what he was about. But he was true to that no matter what. In fact, he constantly tried to tell his disciples why he was here, and they just wouldn't get it. I mean, multiple times, three different times, he tells them. Let's look at one of these. Luke chapter 9, verse 21 says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said in verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Very clear. Like it's very clear what he's saying is going to happen. And then every single time he would do this, he would say, but the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. And it's like, how do you, what, 
what was hard to understand about this? But they had a certain view of what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to be this conquering hero. He was going to take down the Roman oppressors and then bring freedom and liberty to the Jewish people. But Jesus was the suffering servant. And so even when the time drew near for the hardest season of Jesus' life, we see how steady he is. Luke 9, 51. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Even though he knew that his life would end, and not just end, but end in suffering and anguish, he set out resolutely for the place where he would die. Knowing that it would end in Jerusalem, Jesus set out. And he had his mindset, this is what God's called me to do. I don't care what season comes. I don't care what hardship comes with it. I don't care what persecution and what suffering. I'm going to say yes to God, not my will, but his will be done. And he was resolute to the end. Knowing his ultimate purpose, he never wavered from the path of God. We see in Jesus this steadiness, this steadfastness, this faithfulness and assurance that no matter what came, no matter what season of life, instead of reacting to the season, instead of reacting to his circumstances or what people said about him or what people did towards him or the fruit of his ministry or whatever it was, instead of reacting to that, he always responded prayerfully to every season with grace and patience and perseverance, listening for the voice of God. He, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Father saying. So he was never moved by the crowds. He was never moved by the persecution from the Pharisees. He was steadfast. And we have the benefits as followers of Jesus to have an example of the Son of God that we can live, uh, that we can align our lives with. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus experienced every season of life that we experience, yet without sin. Right? He navigated the, the waters of obscurity, and he, he walked through the fires of hardship. And he, he made his way through the crowds of, of popularity and, and people's opinions. And yet he came through each season, obscurity, popularity, persecution, the same person as he came in with. He was constant. And we too experience these different seasons in our life. Uh, I, I know that we've all had it. At some point in our life, you've had a season of obscurity in your life where you're just kind of, you don't know exactly where you're going. Right? You don't know exactly what you're doing um, or exactly what God's called you to do maybe in your work. And, and you're just questioning things a little bit. It's not clear. Now, you know God is good. You know he loves you. You know that the word of God is true. But as far as like the next step, it's just kind of blurry. 
right? And then when we're in these seasons of obscurity, which they, they come to all of us, it's easy for us to be disillusioned and then to begin to doubt and question. Wait, God, like, what are you doing? Like, what, why am I here? I mean, I'm just, I feel like I'm just going in circles. I just feel like every day it's the same thing. It's just monotonous. I just kind of get up, I get ready, I go to work, I come home, I hang out, I go to sleep, I get up. It's just, and then it's, it's frustrating. It can be confusing, especially if we're praying and we're asking God for direction and we don't feel like we're getting anything. That's a tough season of life, but we all go through it in one, one shape or form. And then you have the season of popularity or prosperity where everything just seems to go right. Like maybe you get married and you have your first kid or you get your first house and you get a promotion at work and it's like, man, everything's going awesome. Uh, I have good friends. The life is good. Everything's smooth sailing. This is wonderful. And you have this wonderful season of fruitfulness in life. And some of you guys are like, yeah, those seasons are really short. It's true. It seems like they're, they're a lot shorter than the obscurity seasons. Those are longer, right? Um, but we have seasons like that where things are going well. Maybe we're being celebrated and accepted when we hadn't been for a long period of time. We feel like we're finally being seen maybe in our workplace or, or even by our spouse or in our family and, and things are going well. And then we have the season of persecution or you could say a season of hardship where Maybe you're at work and you have a boss that is just reaming you and is just on you and you're being persecuted and, and it's unjust, right? People are calling you out for things that you didn't do. You, you're experiencing offense and bitterness in relationships with people against you and you're like, what did I do? I didn't even do anything wrong. And you're experiencing resistance everywhere you go and, and, and you're experiencing loss or grief, And it's just hard. Life is hard. Jesus knows what that's like. He went through each one of these seasons. And yet, he remained secure through them all. So how did he do that? Because you guys will probably agree, most of our life is the non prosperous, everything going well seasons, right? The majority of life is either the obscurity or hardship a lot of the times. And that's just true. It's just hard. So if that's true, then then we shouldn't just try to get through it. Because if you think about it, if that was 75% of our life, and we're like, okay, I just got to get through this, then that would mean that we're just trying to get through 75% of our life. And we just discount that as having any value. It's like, I just got to get through this so it's over and get to the prosperous season, right? But that doesn't make sense. So there has to be something that God has for us in every season of life that is good because he is good and that brings life because that's what he does. He brings life. And his promise to us is they would have life in all its fullness. And we see it in Jesus, He was able to thrive and have life in the midst of every season. So God has something for us in each season of our life. Well, what is that? How do we find that? How do we experience that? Let's look at the life of Jesus, all right? You guys ready? Yes? Okay. All right, here we go. So first, 
a season of obscurity. You see this in Jesus' life. Literally, this is the longest season of Jesus' life. 30 years. 30 years of his life is just kind of obscure. Like all we know about the first 30 years of his life is that he was a carpenter's son. Uh, we see a little bit of him in the temple when he's 12. And then he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. It's like that's all we know for 30 years of his life. Can you imagine Jesus knowing who he was for 30 years and waiting, waiting, and waiting, and waiting? We see this in the life of Abraham, right? God gives him the promise of Isaac. And then it's years and years and years, decades pass, and no promise. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. It's obscure. What is going on? And then the temptations come. Then the enemy starts feeding the lies. He's like, oh, can you really trust God? Did God really say that? Did he really say Because I mean, nothing's happening. So did God really speak to you? Is that what you're really called to do? A season of obscurity can tempt us to take control. A season of obscurity can tempt us to take control, force something to happen before it's time. To force something to happen because we're so frustrated that we're waiting in this season of waiting or whatever it is. And, and we're just like, we just got, I just got to do something. We just got to make something happen. I don't know what God's saying. I mean, I, I felt like God said this, but whatever. We're going to move on. We're going to make something happen. You see that happen with Abraham, right? With Hagar and then Ishmael is born. Because he tried to make something happen. He's like, God's taking forever. Let's do something. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Let's do it. So he tried to make something happen. And what happens? Ishmael and Isaac are constantly at odds with each other for the rest of their life and for generations to come. Because he forced something to take place instead of trusting the Lord. Katie and I had an experience like this. <laughs> where <laughs> we... Um, not like, not like that. Not like Abraham, okay? <laughs> Let's clarify. Not that experience. Totally unrelated to that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We're good. Um, no, but we, we, we felt the Lord calling us to, to move to Denver and to plant a church. And we move out there and we heard God tell us to wait uh, and we're like, all right, it was very clear. God's telling us to wait. It's not the time to, to pastor a church yet. So, so we got involved, and, and we, I, came, I came on staff at a church out there, and things were going great, and things were going good. Life was actually good. Like, there was nothing wrong, and things were going really well, actually. Um, but I didn't like waiting. I'm like, well, I know God's called us to do this. Like, I mean, maybe he's saying something. You know, maybe I should just listen harder. And I'll hear something, right, Lord? I think I hear you saying that we should start a church somewhere right now, you know? And because it was, there was something in me, I wanted it so bad, I didn't want to wait. And so we, we kind of were like, I think maybe God is calling us to plant a church in California, you know, randomly. I mean, it really, it was kind of random. Um, but we just were kind of, honestly, we were forcing something to happen because we didn't like waiting. And praise God, I had some wise mentors in my life. We're like, hey, bro, I, 
I don't think, I don't think this is God. And we're like, what? Are you sure? You, you mean God wants us to wait longer? I mean, it's been a whole year. <laughs> 12 months, you know, 365 days, right? Um, and praise God for him, and then praise God for the Holy Spirit, because he also would just put us like a wall in front of us. Uh, we went on a date night one night, and we're talking about it, and we both just looked at each other, and we're like, yeah, this isn't God. <laughs> we're trying to force something to happen here. And then, uh, praise the Lord, we didn't go out and do that because that would have been a disaster. Um, but, again, it was just frustrating. It's hard. It's hard to wait, especially if you feel like God's told you something. So the, tem- the temptation is to take control. But how does Jesus respond? Let's look at this. During the 30 years of obscurity, verse, cha- uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 49 says, okay, Jesus is found in the temple, so this is, the, the story is kind of funny. So his parents leave Jesus in Jerusalem, and it's three days later they realize he's missing. I mean, parents fail of the century. You left, first of all, the Son of God, but it was three days. Oh, shoot, uh, Jesus isn't here. Uh, when was that? I guess it was back in Jerusalem last time I saw him. That was three days ago. So they, crazy, they make their way back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus in the temple, right, talking to the religious leaders and the teachers and questioning them and like challenging them. And they're like, wow, just amazed at his wisdom. He's 12 years old. And then we, we get this verse and they're just like, Jesus, why did you not come with us? You know, and they're trying to like throw it on to him. Verse 49, he says, why were you searching for me? And they're like, well, because you were gone for a week. Um, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So at the age of 12, he knew who his father was, and he knew what God was calling him to do. At a young age, he knew who he was, and he spoke of who he was. And then, But look at what happens in the next verse. It says, then, verse 51 of Luke 2, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient, obedient to them. He submitted himself, another, one, another version says, to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. So what do we see in the life of Jesus? He showed us patience. He stayed true to himself in the waiting. He stayed true to himself in the waiting. He didn't try to make something happen. Jesus submitted himself to a season of waiting because he was confident in the nature of God that he is good. He could submit himself to a season of waiting because he knew God's good. God is good, and so I can wait. And if he's leading me, it's going to be good. I know he's faithful. Many times in life we don't we, when we don't seem to be making progress on the outside, there's work being done on the inside. When we feel like we're not making progress, we're not moving forward in our life, we, we don't know what the next step is. It's kind of like two different journeys. You have your like external journey and your inward journey, right, of growth and, and maturing and, and the call of God and, and, and becoming who God's asked you to be and called you to be, right? And so on the external, you're kind of moving forward, you're moving forward, and then you kind of have this season where you get off on an exit, and then you're like doing like this. <laughs> like you're going in circles, you're going backwards, you're, and you're like, what am I doing, God? 
This, this job isn't what I was called to do, or this season is not what you asked of me, or this is not what it looks like to, to live and be fully alive in Jesus, or, or whatever it is. And we have this season of obscurity that's happening out here. But a lot of times when this jumbled mess is happening here on the inside, God's developing us. He's growing our character. He's growing our trust in him our ability to lean into him, to listen to his voice, to know that he is good, to be secure in his character, in his love for us. And so don't get frustrated. Or tr- don't, any, don't do it. Don't ever get frustrated when life is hard. Easy. Um, don't be frustrated when, when things don't seem like they're progressing on the outside. God is still at work. He's still at work. Jesus understood that when God says wait, he is still working. When God says wait, he's still working in you. We might not see it out here, but there's all sorts of things that God's doing within us. And so in that season, we say, yes, Lord, I am submitting to this season and how you are forming me. What are you trying to teach me? What can I learn? Instead of let's get through it, let's just get through it so we can go on to the good season. Oh, Lord, what, is, what do you have for me in this season? And see what the Lord says. Because one thing that we know is that it's good. <laughs> it's good. And we grow in wisdom in those seasons, don't we? Tribulation produces godly character. So we grow in wisdom in those seasons of obscurity. So then we look at the season of popularity when things are going well for Jesus, right? Prospering, everything's going well, everything's kind of falling in line. Look at this, John 2, 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So things are going great. A lot of people are believing in him. And then Luke 14, 25, now great multitudes, tens of thousands went with Jesus. Luke 12, 1, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. I mean, this is like his normal day-to-day life. Like, people are trampling one another, trying to get to Jesus. Things are going well. Popularity is soaring, right? When this happens, the natural human reaction to praise, prominence, prosperity is guardedness. It's actually a fear of loss. Because we start experiencing all of this coming in, all these good things happening, and we're kind of harvesting in good, and then we start getting defensive of it. We don't want to lose it. Because like, oh, no. And then so we're afraid of losing it. Look at this in Luke 12, 16. Jesus tells this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. He says, yeah, if I can just have more and more and more and put it all away and have all of this surplus, then life will be easy. 
but I have to guard myself. I don't want to lose it. And so if we're not careful, prosperity, popularity, things going well for us can create a fear of loss in us. And a season of popularity can tempt us to be inauthentic. It can tempt us to be inauthentic, to protect what we have by telling people what they want to hear. Right? Because if we want, if people are are liking us, then let's do whatever we can to keep that going. Right? We want people to, to think well of us and to celebrate us. We want to be celebrated. And so then what happens, because we're afraid of losing that, is then we start telling them what they want to hear. And then we become inauthentic. And flattery becomes something that we find ourselves subjected to. But look at Jesus' response to this. In 2.23, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem, Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, verse 24, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Luke 12, 1. When the crowd was trampling one another, it says Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So thousands of people are gathering around Jesus wanting to hear him. And he sees them all and he's like, "Uh, hey, disciples, come here. And he's like, I'm going to talk to you. And he has this long dialogue just, just with his disciples, with thousands of people. Like, we want Jesus. Speak, Jesus. He's, he's just ignoring them. And he's pouring into his disciples in that moment. Look at, look at the way he responds to this. And then in Luke 14, 25, when large crowds and multitudes are traveling with Jesus, he kind of sees them, all these people. And he's like, he turns around and he says, Hey, uh, for all you thousands of people that are kind of following me, if anyone wants to come, comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't think Jesus was trying to keep them all with that phrase. He said hard things. And he, and he stayed true to his message no matter how popular he got, no matter who was around him. He stayed true to what God had told him to do and what he told him to say. Jesus showed us persistence. He stayed true to his message and his calling. Jesus spoke the truth in love and popularity didn't change his message. If anything, he made it even more clear. It's like, wait, more of you are following me? I want you to know this, Okay. It cost you something to be my disciple. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He told them the truth. He wasn't clinging to their every word or trying to keep their favor or say things they would like. In fact, when they tried to make him king, they tried to crown him and force him to be king. And he like ran away from them. (laughs) Like, nope, that's not what God's called me to do. He didn't take it. He didn't take the bait. Jesus didn't entrust himself to the crowd, but to a group of trusted friends. He didn't entrust himself to the crowd. He wasn't just appealing to people. He trusted himself with a group of friends. He didn't rise and fall with the opinions of others. He didn't soar when people spoke well of him and then was down in the dumps when they came against him. He stayed secure. Even when people were trampling over others to get to him, He puts his closest relationships first and pours into them no matter how great the demand seems to be on his time otherwise. 
no matter what the urgent and important or whatever it is, people clamoring, saying, we need this from you, we need this from you, said, no, I'm going to pour into these men. That's what God's told me to do. And he didn't submit himself. No matter what the needs of the crowds were, he didn't allow those to dictate how he spent his time and how he spent his life. Amen? Third season of life. So we have obscurity, popularity, and then lastly, persecution, hardship. Luke eleven fifty three. when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. I mean, they literally were, they were trying to find a way to kill him. They were trying to find a way to catch him in his words. They were testing him. And these are like the smartest guys in the land. Like just all of them collectively united together opposing Jesus and coming up with like strategic questions. Like, ooh, ask him this one because that'll get him, you know. And they're like working together as a cohort trying to come against Jesus and working against him. And throughout all of this, all of this opposition, there is a temptation when, when, when life throws heavy punches at us and when people are being ridiculously unjust toward us and when hurt people are hurting people, when all of this comes, there's a temptation that we have and that's to become bitter. And when we get hurt, there's a temptation to use our hurt to fuel our desire for retribution. We get hurt and we say, man, I want them to hurt the way I'm hurting. And so we say things that we don't mean, but in that moment, because of the, what we're feeling, because of the pain, because of the hardship, because of the loss, because of the grief, because of the persecution, we let that hurt and those wounds get the best of us in the moment. And that's the temptation, to give into it and use it for retribution, for revenge, to get back at someone. That's the temptation. But what do we see in Jesus? What do we see in his response? In Luke 13, 34, it says that Jesus, in the midst of all of this persecution, comes to Jerusalem and sees it in the distance and begins to weep over the city. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And remember, this is a lament. He's crying his heart, broken. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. His heart was broken for them. And then ultimately you see the perfect picture of this at the cross with everyone working against him, persecuting him, telling him to come down from the cross while he's in extreme pain and experiencing torture and something that we've never, we could never wrap our minds around of what it would feel like. In that moment, with everyone against him, he cries out to the Father and he says, Father, what? Forgive them. His cry for justice was forgiveness. Jesus showed us Compassion. He didn't allow his heart to grow cold. No matter how deep the wound, 
I mean, we're talking even his disciples, his closest people to him, abandoned him. People who said, like Peter, I've got you, I'm with you to the end, denied him three times. Everyone fled. Yet, his heart didn't grow cold. He was full of compassion. So no matter what season of life Jesus found himself in, obscurity, prosperity, popularity, persecution, he stayed secure. He knew who he was. He knew God's character. And he trusted in that, no matter what came. And that's what he's inviting us to do as we reflect in these next few weeks on the life of Jesus. He's inviting us in to a place of security, of steadfastness, of stability in our life. And we can have that because he's our refuge. He's our strong tower that the righteous can run into and be saved. We have the spirit of God in us, the fruit of the spirit in us, the grace of God resting on us. So no matter what we experience out here, our inward reality can remain constant. For we are secure in Christ. Amen? I want to close with this. Um, and this time, um, I could just invite the prayer team to come forward as well. We just want to have an opportunity for prayer. Um, no matter what season you find yourself in, like right now, what is that season for you? And I, I know you immediately know what it is. Like It's like, you know what season you're in. What season is that for you? And do you feel like you're in a place of obscurity? You're not sure what the next step is. Things are maybe confusing or un, uncertain. Or maybe you're in a place where things are going great and things are going really well. In Deuteronomy 8, it, it talks about when things go well for you and you're eating of your own vineyard and you're building your own houses, be careful not to say to yourself, I built this wealth. I brought, remember that this was the Lord. And he says, he reminds us of gratitude in those seasons, being grateful, or maybe it's hardship, maybe it's loss, maybe it's grief. Jesus is faithful. He is faithful to heal. He is faithful to comfort. He is faithful to encourage. He is faithful to lift you up and to make you whole and to bring life no matter what the season is. He has this incredible way of somehow, when everything around us is like this dark storm, Jesus can reach through the darkness and just plant a seed of light in the middle of that. That's the power of God. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's what he purchased on the cross. He made a way where there was no way. And so I just want to invite you whatever season you're in, to bring that to the Lord, the questions that come with it, the doubts that come with it. Be like David. Be honest with God. Tell God how you feel, what it's like. And then instead of, for instance, taking that hurt and letting it fuel something wrong or hurtful in you, bring it to Jesus. Take the hardship, take the questions, take the prosperity, whatever it is, and lay it at the feet of Jesus and see what he does with that. He has this incredible way of making all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen.
Would you stand with me? We're going to close a time of worship. Listen, if you need prayer, please come up. We would love to pray with you, stand with you in whatever season you find yourself in. Um, or we can just respond in worship as well. So let's worship. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, Lord, and your love endures forever. And you are faithful to your children, Lord. You're a good father. And so, Lord, I just pray for grace to trust in who you say you are, God, your goodness, your faithfulness to us no matter what season we face. Lord, and I pray that you give us the ability to see who you've called us to be and that we stay true to ourselves and to your calling on our life no matter what's going on around us, no matter what our circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves, God, no matter how hard or how uh, difficult or unsure life becomes, Lord, I pray that we will, by your grace, remain faithful, trusting in you, that you are good, and we'll find refuge in the shelter of your wings as you promise in your love you and we bless you this morning in Jesus name Amen